stronger, be wiser. Our seat, our table. This is our voice, our time, our moment, our seat, our table. Yeah. Hey, 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 our seat, our table. everyone it is friday and what a beautiful friday it is it is april the 2nd and it is good friday and you are listening to our seat our table leadership lounge you are joining us in the lounge today we are going to have some community conversation around the issues that really impact and matter the most to us uh, in our communities Joining me, of course, is none other than LaVonda Wilder with the Eatonville Chamber of Commerce, as well as Andrew Brown. Once again, the Leadership Lounge or the uh, or Our Seat, Our Table, as we refer to it, our, um, our digital space here that we occupy, this is where it's exactly what the title says. It's our seat, it's our table. We get to lead the discussions we get to curate and uh, tell the narrative on a very localized and grassroots level. Andrew Brown, myself, and LaVonda Wilder, we're very active members in our communities, Eatonville, downtown Orlando, Winter Park, as well as other surrounding areas as well. The format of our show for the last 11 episodes have been history, community organizations, artist spotlight, as well as business spotlight. And it is important, once again, we feel that it is important that we look at the community from the inside out and not the outside in. And so today we're gonna deviate a bit from our typical format just to give ourselves as well as our listeners a variation of of how we see um, the things that really affect and and make a difference in our communities. So we're going to be pulling a few different topics, things that are trending right now on a national level and a very localized level. And we're we're gonna share what we feel about them. And this allows us to to have that organic, um, um, heartfelt conversation. I, I don't want us to ever feel that we are locked in a box as to how we uh, use uh, this time to to relate to our audience. And there are things that we feel is very important. We feel that it's very important that we we speak about these things from a heartfelt space, from a very safe space in which we can also, I think for me is where I can also have um, uh, a, a space of sharing. Um, I, one of the one of the topics that come up for me right now is the the trial of Derek Chevin, Chevon or Chevin, whatever the hell his name is, and um, that trial is beginning. As we know, this is the police officer who we saw murder George Floyd. 
we can, you can, or whoever can, they can, they can call it what they want, but it was, it was a live murder. It was, um, it was like a hanging. It was like um, in, in the 1920s, in the earlier years, when African-Americans would, would get hung, when they would get lynched. And the lynchings, as we know, in those earlier times, it was to send a message to other Blacks to the other uh, enslaved Black people that this too could happen to you if you step out of line. So what we saw with the police officer, who I personally don't like to call his name, I don't like to refer to him, um, but what we saw with that um, uh, police officer, it was it was a murder. It was a live murder, and and his peering, uh, his eyes peering into the camera, looking at the um, the passerbys or the not even the passerbys, the onlookers, and the way he looked at them, it was almost as to say, this too could happen to you if you step out of line. So um, I know for me, the the with the trial coming up, I. I, I'm afraid to be re-traumatized. I'm, I'm being my organic and authentic self. Um, most people know me and I know me as a, a, as a strong person, a strong woman, but really and truly just last night seeing uh, the opening argument, I am afraid that I will be re-traumatized and um, I, I need to know what to do. I, I need to know what the what 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 is there for our communities to do as this will be replayed. This is going to be replayed. We did not get the results we wanted in the Breonna Taylor um, the the trial uh, for Breonna Taylor. We did not get those results. Are we going to see the same thing? Are we as uh, am I as a black woman, as a black person, will I feel as though my life has no worth? So I, I'm afraid to be re-traumatized. Lavanda, what, what are your feelings around this? Well, honestly, I did not even want to, I guess a part of me doesn't even want to watch the trial or any of the incidents played again like they were when it initially happened but then the human part of you and the mother part of you makes you want to make sure that justice is served and and you're drawn to it because it's just human nature to be drawn to things that are in the media but i also want to say that I, a comment that you made about traumatized and and feeling like you're being drawn into it again, sometimes mm -hmm. this is where we have to seek counsel counseling and our church clergymen. It, if it's affecting a community, then those are the outlets that we should choose to reach out to and, and maybe have a uh, candlelight vigil again and pull the community together to let everyone know that you're not alone. Right. You're, you're not alone in this situation. And counseling is always good. I actually was speaking to someone yesterday because I was listening at something that Taraji Henson had about counseling and how our people don't have someone that represents them for them to seek out. So this is an opportunity to maybe reach out to your clergymen and your counsel, 
your city council people also to see mm -hmm. what they can do to make you feel safer or feel more in tune to the feelings that you that you have. Right, right. I agree. I agree. And when we say, I, I know for me, when I say um, feeling re-traumatized, which I already am, to be totally honest, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from when I, the, the community I live in, the community that I live in, in Winter Park, they, it took forever for our city council to begin to even address this. As we know the history of Winter Park, this is a very um, elite white community. And in that, when you start having these types of dialogues of uh, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Trayvon Martin, and the responsibility that they have in which to help to, to, to move the community along, we did, not, we did not see any participation in that. We're, we're right now, we have a new mayor in place. Phil Anderson is our new mayor. Um, for those who have been paying attention to the, the, um, the, the Winter Park political uh, arena, the political happenings, we have been fighting to have a single member district, which would allow us to have better representation, whether it's uh, geography, uh, geographical, whether it is um, ethnic representation. And so in that, to, for me, the re-traumatizing, the, the re it comes from a very um, uh, uh, actual, actual place because I don't have anyone who will bring this situation up. Myself as one of the voices in the area, in order for this conversation to be brought up on a community level, it's almost like I will have to initiate it. I, I will share with, and Andrew is here with us uh, and he's gonna jump in, he's setting himself up. Um, I will, I will share this with us when, when, when COVID, of course, COVID is happening, um, the George Floyd, uh, the murder of George Floyd happened. I had several people in, in, through the Caritas Center that scheduled meetings with me in which to have these conversations, in which to have the very hard conversations about race relations within their homes, within their workplaces. I was actually doing a cultural diversity training from, from what I know as a black woman, from my direct toe-to-toe uh, -to -toe on the ground interactions. And it, 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 was, it, was, it ramped up a lot more emotions in me than I realized. I participated in some of the marches. I spoke out directly against uh, things that were happening here in Winter Park. And that was, that was a direct impact for me that I felt. I remember doing one of the, 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 the marches with one of these uh, dream defenders or one of these organizations. And we took the knee for eight, eight minutes and 40, 46 seconds in front of Rollins College. And I, I, I just start bawling. I'm bawling at this point. I'm bawling for myself. Who feels disenfranchised? Well, it makes out you wonder. This it, system. Yeah, it just really makes you wonder what type of person could just close out everything. And I understand that people, you know, 
people will say that certain things are affecting them when they're about to get arrested or get a ticket. But at some point, common decency does step in. Mm. Common decency. Your hearing steps in. Everybody in watching that scene felt the tension in the air. I, I can imagine. I, I, I can definitely imagine how the people felt sitting there or standing there watching this and hearing him. And at some point, the cries have to affect anyone in the vicinity. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think of um, the black males that were standing around and how they must have felt their their manhood not being able to um, go to his rescue. Um, you know, everyone was yelling and screaming, stop. He, he, as a man, George Floyd himself as a man, you know, calling and screaming for his mother. I remember um, seeing an image of one of the uh, protest sign when, uh, and the image, the sign said that, when he called for his mama, when he said mama, all the mamas, that, that black, white, Hispanic, you know, that's a big, that's, a, I think dada is the first word that a child learns, but we know that mothers are the, uh, the nurturers uh, of, 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 of raising, of raising children. So, but Andrew's here. Let's, let's get Andrew's take on this. I think, um, <clears throat> It, it is complicated. I think if, if, if you, depending on your perspective and depending on how you grew up, this is a very complicated issue for some people. And for others, it's a very black and white issue. Again, depending on how you grew up. And that may be controversial to say, but it, it really is. So Barbara, you mentioned, you know, what kind of person or, you know, what kind of person would do that? What kind of person would stay on someone's neck for eight minutes, 46 seconds. And, you know, his trial started yesterday and they updated the time to about nine minutes. Mm -hmm. I saw that. Seconds. So what kind of person would do that? The person who did it, someone who is not um, racially inclined, someone who does not view the world as, I see everyone, someone who may view the world as I don't see color, because that's a dangerous thing to say, but Absolutely. some people don't realize how dangerous saying something like I don't see color actually is. Um, and I, I want to bring up Ibram Kendi is a contributing writer for The Atlantic, and sometime last year he wrote an article on how patience is a dirty word. And so we're interested in having change happen now. Barbara, you mentioned in Word Park, we're interested in having change happen now. And those who are um, socially, uh, politically in some type of power don't necessarily want change now. They want it to be patient or they want it to have gradual change. And he says, Patience is a dirty word to those incarcerated by inequity. Patience is a nasty word to those with injustice kneeling down on their neck. What I'm more interested in is who is kneeling down on someone's neck? It's people who are in the moderate, 
who go with the status quo. They're afraid of change happening now because they don't know what that will look like. They don't know what that will flesh out for themselves, for their community, for their schools. They fear something is going on. And so you cling to what you always know because you know exactly how that's going to play out. And unfortunately, clinging to that is something that contributed to where we are right now. So it's it's very dangerous, but change has to happen. You know, sometimes when you move to a new home, you you don't buy the house. You know, some people plan it, but sometimes you have to move on the fly. Something yep. happens and you got to pack up and we've got to move somewhere to a new neighborhood or you get a new job and they're moving you and you've got a month to pack up. It doesn't mean change is bad, but it means you've got to adequately prepare yourself. And when more people start realizing change is happening, I need to prepare myself. Mm -hmm. And whatever that means, I need to talk to some people that I feel comfortable talking to. Like, Barbara, how you mentioned people were coming to you wanting to talk about exactly. it. They're preparing themselves yes. for some type of change. Mm -hmm. When you don't, that's when you start to rebel. And mm -hmm. we end up in this position where mm -hmm. someone who is not prepared to change is a law enforcement officer and unfortunately does something like what Derek Chauvin did. Yeah. One of the things, Andrew, that I am hearing, and you, you've heard me say this, is um, a few weeks ago, and we're seeing this, we're reading it, uh, where someone mentioned about the changes um, when when they're speaking about speaking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what that looks like. A lot of these organizations who I feel have not um, who who are guilty of not having diversity, equity, and inclusion, and now that they have to make that turn, the shit the the term that's being used is this is going to be done in incremental shifts. So just as the, the person you spoke about, the word patience, again, we are, I, when I hear incremental shift, I hear be patient, um, wait your turn. I hear it's going to happen when we know what to do. And I say we got to challenge that status quo. And for me, the term is accelerated change because we do have people who are right now capable of going into a lot of these spaces, um, in employment spaces, whether it's in education, whether it's in politics, whether it's in, um, um, uh, in the arts, wherever these spaces are, where there is not um, um, any equity, equity to, be, to, be, um, to be given or to allow opportunities I think the longer we 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 subscribe to that uh, that testament about incremental shifts, we're going to once again see ourselves behind. We're going to once again not be at the table. We, we can't we can't fall for it. We we can't fall for those terms when they're having. Um, and this was a formal meeting. This was a training in diversity, equity, and inclusion. So how can you speak about diversity, equity, and, and inclusion, and you're still 
terms like patience, incremental shifts, you're not addressing. You're not, we, we already know what the situation, um, we, we know the situation. You don't have people, you don't have opportunities, you don't have, we know that you're lacking. So therefore you have to, you gotta turn the corner. You have to show the people that feels like, feel as though these things are not in place. You have to show us that you're working at a rapid pace or else once again, we're, we're not gonna believe you and we're not gonna wanna work with you. And I think to a lot of, when you hear that word patience or gradual, a lot of organizations don't actually understand what diversity, equity, and inclusion is all together. Mm -hmm. You know, we think about diversity. We know what diversity means. We know what equity means. We know what inclusion means separately. Mm -hmm. But when you bring them all together, a lot of organizations don't know what that actually means because for a long time, you thought you were being diverse. Yes. You thought on a management team, if I have, you know, 10 managers and four are women, that's diversity. That's correct. And yes, that is true. It's important to have a good mixture of genders on your management team, say, for example. But diversity goes beyond that. How many of them are people of color? How many of them have different perspectives, grew up differently than you? Diversity is beyond, do I have someone who's blonde? Do I have someone who's a redhead? It goes beyond that. And what about social economics? What, correct, social economics. Do you have a manager? You know, if all of your managers live in the same zip code, they probably grew up the same. They don't have different opinions or different perspectives on social economics. They may or may not have grown up differently. So diversity is such a broad concept, but when you bring it together with equity and inclusion, it becomes something different. Mm. It's like going back to the analogy about a dance. Diversity is inviting everyone to the dance. That's right. Equity is playing a song that everyone at the dance knows and is going to like and can dance to and will sing the lyrics. But inclusion is inviting everyone at the dance to dance on the floor. Right. And there's a lot of times where organizations may invite everyone to the dance and be diverse, but they don't ask everyone at the dance to dance. They don't include you into the conversation. Mm. They may not be equitable and playing a country song and a pop song and an R&B song and a rap song and an ethnic song from someone's culture. They may not do all of those things. And so when you get around, when you wrap your head around that DEI word, it is so much. And you, I do applaud a lot of organizations for taking the task and wanting to address it and wanting to get it right. And I also think that's where that word patience comes from. They want to get it right. But there are so many, there's lots of resources in your current organization that you can use that can assist you in this process. Um, recently there even was uh, USF has that free 
diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. I'm taking it. I'm taking the training. That was free. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, if you didn't know, you know, it's okay to not know, but there are things like that that can assist in quick change. A seven-week course and you come out all the way um, prepared to discuss it in your workplace, that's the change that we're interested in seeing. Yeah, yeah. Anything, LaVonda? Um, I'm I'm really just listening and and thinking how I think we've come a long way. I hate to use that cliche phrase, but when things like this happen, we realize that we really haven't come as far as we thought we we've come. Correct. Uh-uh. It's I, like I, we've stepped back. Yeah. Go ahead, Levanda. The more I read about different things, I was looking at something this morning. I actually shared it on social media with social and um, just how what she went through in the workplace, you know, just trying to be in in politics. And then we look look at it again, Shirley Chisholm. We look at it again, and how much further have we come? Hmm. My gosh. How much further have we come? And think about how long ago that was. And I, I remember when my mom used to talk about when schools were integrated and how they didn't know how to socialize with the other races. They just thought, you know, pretty much they just were against each other. Right. And then when, when all these things have happened recently that have been in the media about social injustices, when you sit down in a quiet moment and you think, we're right back where we were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're right back where we started. Yes. And it's scary. Mm-hmm. And it's-, it's really scary. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know... When we look at our younger kids, the younger people, the millennials, it looks like they have the answer. But it's such a difficult topic for me because I just think about how when all this stuff started happening and with us being friends on social media, a lot of the people that I grew up with, that I went to school with, I saw so many different differences in opinions when when the when the riots were going on, when the George Floyd things were happening, when it, it just pick one, and when they started removing the um, the the statues, the, the certain flags, you, you saw how people really felt about things. That so much so that. I found myself questioning friendships that I'd had for 30 plus years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You, the, the true people came out. And I know we like to talk about the social media bullies, but the true person yeah. came out. And, and you found yourself questioning if you had made good decisions all these years. Mm-hmm. You, I, you, Talking about the statues, I think it makes it, that was probably the turning point that a lot of people realized how ingrained uh, slavery and segregationism was 
in the American, not only just in the economy, but in the social landscape as well, that there are still statues to this day of people who built up a community in that area. There's no questioning. They did assist to build up the community, but that we still hold those people in such high regard despite them being example a slave owner despite them being a ruthless person despite them being a known racist and 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 all of the negative aspects behind that person's characteristic it goes to really show how widespread and how ingrained those things are among us to this very day that on one hand, Lavanda, you could look at it and say that, you know, that statue shouldn't even be up. And someone else can look at it and, and pause and acknowledge that that person was a slave owner, that person was a racist, that person did prioritize the values of white people as opposed and over other people and they still are able to say, but it's our heritage and we have to honor that person. And, and like you said, it's those types of statements that you have to pause and you say, wow, I, I never thought you would have said that to me, let alone after I show you what, how this is painful to me, that you would still choose your side and not even acknowledge, wow, that's painful to you. Maybe maybe we had it wrong all along, or maybe we need to rethink this, what we've taught ourselves for so many years. That's that's something that's interesting. And even, you know, like you said, on my street, you know, I live downtown. And even on my street, there's one house that had a Trump um, sign out. And, you know, you walk the dog and everyone's very friendly and, and you talk to your neighbors and everyone would would comment, oh, you know, such and such still has that Trump sign out. And it kind of, you know, you look like, oh, you know, we used to go to a party at their house. I don't know if I want to do that anymore. Right. Um, I, my kids would play over there. I don't necessarily think I want my kids to play over there. Not because of, of just the sign, but like you said, it is revealing something that has been quiet for so long. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, as a person, you want to make sure that you're around people who, you know, have your same values. Yeah. I think one of the other things that I've heard, too, uh, from people um, that are non-Black, when they found out a lot of their friends were supporters or had the values of our uh, former president, they were questioning whether or not they could really mm -hmm. still be friends with them. Mm -hmm. One of the very first um, uh, calls during the, the riots that I received was a mature white woman who came in to see me and uh, she was apologizing. She said, you know, over the course of the years, her interactions has not, or her close friends, when she looked around, they, they were not many Black people that were coming to her home or she was going to their home. 
And in now trying to have these conversations with those whom she she had been close to for for several years, it it caused a rift in their relationships. It drove it drove a wedge. It 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 started to question, um, as as you stated, Lavanda, as Andrew stated, who in the hell am I hanging around? Do we really share the same values? One of my very good friends, um, she said again, Facebook Lavanda when she started to see friends that she had been going to church with sitting um, on the same pew in the same Bible study, coming to the same, um, uh, what do you call those meetings that they would have? Uh, I, I forget, it'll come to me. Uh, the cell meetings. Mm. When she started to see their comments via Facebook, she could not believe it. This is someone who, again, was in very um, um, ingrained in, in her church, involved in her church. And again, we're thinking that we're sharing the same values until something like the, the uh, protest comes up, until something like uh, our, our uh, former president uh, uh, comes up. And then we get to see who people really are. Is that a good thing? Possibly. Because otherwise than that, we're kind of walking around um, as our representatives. We're kind of walking around in a lot of pretense. We're not saying what we what we really feel. We're, we're saying what we think um, is appropriate to say. And that's another part of conditioning. I, well, I, go ahead, Lavanda. What I'm going to say is that I guess I'm one of the people that was guilty forever of saying, I don't see color. Mm -hmm. But my reason for saying it is because I always went to school with a mixed group of people. I was always friends. I, I graduated from Lyman High School, you know, and, and I've always been friends with everybody. That was something that I was proud of. And I remember a conversation comes to mind when I started in the work field and someone asked me, you know, how did I become like I am that, you know, everybody is welcome I, because that's how I grew up. So I, us, most of us. Yeah. yeah. So I always mm -hmm. said I did not see color. I never thought about how big that statement could really be and how it could be taken out of context. You know, I just simply meant that I loved everyone in, in, in all races. But as you get older, you start hearing the reasons people say that that's, a, that's not a true statement. But I, I honestly think that when we have children, it's hard to say that you're only going to be conscious about what affects the African-American people, that you're only going to be aware and social socially responsible for what affects just the Asian people. When you have children, you have to be aware of everything because our kids will make liars out of you. Mm -hmm. They start dating and liking and, and they don't see the world the same way that their parents see the world. So when you Correct. have children, your outlook on the world changes. A I saw someone the other day talking about um, having the conversation with their son. And I saw it in a movie also about having the conversation. 
when you have these little brown and black kids, you have to have the conversation, even when you don't want to have the conversation. The conversation today is almost starting to look like the conversation from yesterday. We have to do better. We do. And, and you know, you bring up, I don't see color. Um, there is, uh, again, from The Atlantic, there's an article from a couple of years ago by Ida Harvey Wingfield on uh, why being colorblind or not seeing color is almost is really counterproductive. Um, and it, it goes back to ignoring when you don't see color and you view everyone individually you don't take into account some of the things that they may have gone through simply because of the color of their skin. Um, you may not open your mind to understand some of the hardships and hurdles that they may inherently have had to deal with simply because of the color of their skin. It's similar to and I always look at it from a male female perspective, you know, as a man, there are a lot of things that I don't have to deal with because I'm a man. I don't get catcalled on the street by a man. I, it just doesn't happen to me because I'm a guy. But if I was a woman, I would be open to being catcalled Absolutely. and I would be expected to either give into it or ignore it. And yeah. if I do ignore it, I, there are some choice words that may come at, behind that. And I can as, tell you personally. Yeah. yeah. And, and as a man, I don't, I've never yeah. had to deal with it. So I don't have to think about it. But when, you know, I went through a training and that was brought up, I had to stop and realize, you know what, that's very true. So mm -hmm. if I remember that sometimes there are things that I don't have to go through that women do just to get to the same place that I am, that's true. it makes me a little more empathetic to say, okay, we're both here. I want to prioritize your voice because you'll already prioritize my voice because I'm a man, but let me prioritize your voice as well. It's the same thing. If you, for me, if you don't see color and you don't acknowledge color, you may forget that even in the black community, me being a light skinned individual, there are things I don't have to deal with that someone who has a darker skin tone does have to deal with. I've never been called a monkey, but I do know darker skin individuals that have been called monkey just because this color of their skin. And by the time you acknowledge that and you realize you went through some of those terrible things and you're still able to make it here, it makes me more empathetic to value both of our voices because now we can be on the same team. Mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately, as a, 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 a white person or someone outside of the, the Black experience, when you don't see color, you fail to acknowledge some of those very crucial things that I may have had to fight a little bit harder than you. I probably did just to get to the same place. And when you understand and acknowledge that, then we are both able to prioritize because I'm prioritizing you and you'll prioritize me. And then we both get further along than if we didn't do those things. 
Wow. wow. I, I think of pay at the pump and the story, we're all familiar with pay at the pump, correct? Yes. Yeah. So the story, how that came about, um, while it was, uh, and I'm not sure what um, uh, uh, gas company, whether it was Exxon or whomever, mm -hmm. in their meetings sitting around, they wanted to find a more efficient way in which to, to uh, serve the, the public. And it was a woman who suggested it, it's it's really difficult when I'm working or late at night and I got the kids in the back and I have to unstrap the kids out of my uh, out of their car seat, mm -hmm. pick them up and wake them up. Or we as mothers know whatever we got to go through and, and parents, not just mothers, but we as parents know when it's just one of us and three and four kids. We know what we have to go through to make sure we take them in the store. Hey, I'd like 15 on 20. And then we come back out with the kids. We strap them up, pump the gas. We got to make sure everybody's back in. It was a woman who, who made the suggestion, it is very difficult for me to get my kids out of the car, walk into the uh, store or the the gas station and pay the money inside and come back out with the kids. So again, that is one of those benefits of diversity in thinking, Correct. diversity in experience as a, as a mother or as, as a parent who's picking up the, their children after school and whatever that situation is, we know what that looks like um, as parents. So again, we, we get to see the benefits in, in organizations, we get to see the benefits of experiences in which to make our companies more inclusive, more equitable. And, and again, it's all about, in some cases, is, is making the bottom line. But how do we do that um, and make sure that uh, the employees, the people that are working for these companies, management, how do we make sure that they too are, are comfortable when, when and, and when I say comfortable, meaning a part of, a part of the organization. So this is one of those broad topics. Um, we, we get to talk about it, I think, from where we sit, because you mentioned cat call. I, I, I'm cringing over here because I remember, um, I remember that happening to me and my mother, and this is not a dig on my mother, or my sisters or anyone in my family not preparing me for, for what my response should be or how I should handle it or, or for not responding what it could be. And, and, I, and gosh, I'm, I, I don't know the last time it's happened to me, but when this happens to you as, as a woman, I mean, you can feel very, um, you can feel raped. You, you, your emotions, you're, you're not sure what to do. The, the, the feeling of embarrassment that comes over you, especially, and, and I'm sure you, Lavonda, us as women, not just you, Lavonda, but us as women, when our bodies are developing and, and we're starting to change and, and um, men are starting to look at us and starting to catcall, sometimes it comes much quicker than we are mentally prepared for. And it is, um, it, it really can begin to shift the identity of yourself and your body image. So, um, but you are listening to Our Seat, Our Table. Uh, we are having a candid conversation. We are having a, 
a direct conversation around diversity, equity, inclusion. We um, opened this conversation with the trial around Derek Shevin. Is that his name, Andrew Shevin? Or Chauvin. Chauvin, yeah, who actually lives in this uh, or had residency in the Central Florida area. Uh, we're about maybe 15 minutes, uh, 45 minutes into our show. Uh, is there anything else that anyone wanted to say around this topic, which we know we can talk about this all day long? No, the only thing that I want to remind people is that there, there is still hope out there. And the conversations have to be had. Because I remember when all of this stuff started, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to argue on social media, but I was talking to someone the day we had a conversation with two communities, two neighboring communities. And we invited, you know, a select group of people together and we had the conversation. Everyone is not aware of, of everyone wasn't raised to be inclusive. Correct. Sometimes when you have the conversation, you can help a person to see where, where they're lacking and where they might need to revisit some of the ideas and thoughts that they had previously. So honestly, I just think we need to just talk about these things. We can't get in closed doors and just make people our enemies. We have to talk because sometimes talking is where the education will come from. And we have to talk because our kids go to school together. I just keep focusing on our kids because they really are where the change is gonna begin and happen for us. So we have to have those conversations. They make you uncomfortable, but they have to be had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, what about Andrew and the, the law uh, that is now being passed in Florida, the anti-protesting bill? I mean, isn't this our right? to protest? It, it, yes, it is our constitutional right to protest. Um, what House Bill 1, and for those of you who don't know, um, the Florida House of Representatives passed House Bill 1, which essentially is going, well, will create new laws that will um, give stiffer and harsher punishments if you are convicted of uh, a crime as a result of participating in a protest. Um, so this is coming from the Miami Herald, uh, a person who's convicted for crimes committed during a quote, violent public disturbance that's involving three more people would face a third degree felony. And of course, as you know, if you're convicted of a felony, you essentially lose a lot of rights. You, you, most likely won't get a job just because of that particular thing. It makes it more difficult for you to get a job. Um, and then also the penalties for those crimes vary depending on the offender, and it can range from $5,000 fines all the way up to 10 years in prison. Um, it also would create a six-month mandatory minimum sentence for battery on a police officer and also will enhance punishments for burglaries and grand when the crimes are committed by three or more people. 
and so you'll hear this thing about mob intimidation. That's the verbiage that's being used in the bill. Uh, people could face a $1,000 fine if they're convicted under that mob intimidation statute. Um, so so let's, I, I got to understand that some more. The mob intimidation. Mm -hmm. So let's say a group of us decide, okay, all right, we're sick and tired. We're going down to uh, City Hall to protest. We want single member district. Mm -hmm. If we get to City Hall and let's say the city manager, the mayor, uh, they're standing outside at the time and they feel intimidation. Does that fall under mob intimidation? Essentially, yes. So the Miami Herald does a really good job of making it very simple. Um, the mob intimidation statute targets people who try to use force to convince someone to change their viewpoint. So similar to what you said, if if you go down to City Hall, you know, let's say you get a permit mm -hmm. to do a, a peaceful protest. Correct. You do your protest in the city. And the city manager comes downstairs and views it as a mob is intimidating me to change my viewpoint on a particular topic. You could be arrested and charged under that mob intimidation statute, and you would be open to facing that $1,000 So this fine. is much like Jim Crow. Yes, it's very similar to going back, and we all know Back, you know, 100 years ago, for example, in Okoe, it was mob, that was mob intimidation to correct. try to get people to not vote in the presidential election that year. And what ended up happening, everybody walked away free and the city of Okoe essentially became a white city until the 1980s. Fast forward 100 years later, it looks like it's happening in reverse. If essentially, you know, it doesn't say this in the bill, but essentially if any group comes together and it's viewed as a mob that's intimidating someone or group of people, they can face a $1,000 fine. Now, who is being honest? Who is more likely to have their rights disenfranchised to then want to seek a protest to then it, have it viewed as mob intimidation. It, it's people who look like you and I. <laughs> bottom line, and, bottom line. And those are some of the things that diversity, equity, and inclusion seeks to get people to understand. Um, when you realize that by passing something like this, it in essence is targeting a particular group of people because of the historical disenfranchisement of that group of people, it would make you less likely to create something like this, or it would incline you to be very specific about what's going on. But unfortunately, like you said, it is people who look like you and me that mm -hmm. would have their rights disenfranchised and would want to seek a protest to have our voice heard because our voice is generally not heard when we see other forms of discourse, whether that's attending a city council meeting, whether that's sending an email to your representative. Whether um, it's a police officer on trial for the murder correct. of a... Yeah. So, and, and what's the saying by Martin Luther King? A riot is the language of the unheard? Correct. But 
it, that's what it's all about. When, when you're not listened to and you seek out all of the ordinary, I don't want to say ordinary, but all of the, the uh, proper ways we, mm-hmm. we could say um, that are put forth by city um, governments or by state governments in order to have your voice heard. When you're not listened to, you get angry. Absolutely. And unfortunately, you do want to have a protest because this country is founded on protests. Mm-hmm. Nobody got upset when we read in the history books about the Boston Tea Party and how they threw the economy of Boston into the, into the river. I was sad about that when we read it in school. Now, all of a sudden, we're sad when we're walking through the street protesting that someone was killed by a law enforcement officer okay. when it did not have to happen. Yeah. Those are the differences yeah. that more, we are More seeing. institutional racism. Correct. Institutional racism to protect more institu- institutional racism. Well, that's why we have to get out and vote. And we want to vote on, on, we forget about local levels, but we have to get out and vote and talk about the importance of voting because when you see politicians doing things that you don't agree with or that you know is violating civil rights, then don't let that person's term continue. He should not, he or she should not be in office when the next election term comes. So we have to get out and vote and make our voices heard and our votes count. And we also have to do other things aside from just voting. But you have to figure voting only happens, you know, municipally voting happens once a year. For larger things like your senator, you only get to vote for your senator every six years. So if you vote someone like that in power, you've got to wait six years and lots of legislation, lots of votes happen in between that time frame. We've got to do other things than just vote. We've got to, like we were discussing, bother the heck out of your city council representative. Bother your uh, county representative when you live, you know, we have single member district for the, this Orange County. Send them an email. Go down to the meetings. Get you. We have to get involved in other ways because that's how you bring about change. Get people in your community involved as well because there are a lot of things. Take, for example, the Amber Alert. We know that if you have a phone and your phone goes off with that hideous chime, you yes. know exactly what's going on. It's an Amber Alert. We know a child is either missing or has well, a silver alert. alert. <laughs> Correct. Or a silver alert. You know there's an, an elderly person that is missing and you look and you read the details. And if it's outside of your community, you probably just put it down. But if it's in your community, you read the information. That came about from community change. A family lost their child and there was no way of informing other people. And it happened here in Florida. And so those are the types of things that change an entire community. You can drive on the highway and see silver alert for a license plate. And every time I look at it, I'm like, okay, will I see this vehicle? Let me remember what the license plate is. Just in case I see it, I can make a phone call. So So we have to get involved. Absolutely. Beyond just voting because it doesn't come often enough 
to get the change that you want to see. Mm -hmm. Your elected officials were voted into office for a reason. I'm, and I'm not saying harass them because nobody wants to be harassed. But hold their feet to the fire. Hold their feet to hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. If you said you were going to do something, hold them accountable. Continue to exercise your right to communicate with that elected official. Get others involved if you feel like it's not happening the way that they said they would. A lot of people are looking at Joe Biden to say, well, Joe didn't, said he was going to do this. So example, student loans. Joe said he was going to waive student loans. I'm pretty sure a lot of people who have student loans, myself included, are waiting. Are you going to waive my student loan? And we are holding him accountable for that. But we only vote for the president every four years. Yes. Hold these people accountable year round. While they're in office. While they're in office. And there was a time, you know, a few years ago when I, when San Bernardino happened, when the San Bernardino shooting happened, I was teaching a class that day. And my students did not want to learn that day because they were afraid that something like that would happen to them while we were in school. And I had to put my um, hat on and talk to these adults and say, okay, here is the policy at our institution. This is what's going on. This is how we will react. If something happened and I am here with you, this is what I'm going to do. But I also started to get on Facebook and say, if you live in this zip code, this is your representative. This is how they voted on gun um, restrictions on gun laws. If that's not what you want, this is their phone number for their local offices. This is their Washington, D.C. phone number. Give them a call and tell them how you feel because they're your representative. And it engaged so many people to say, oh, I'm going to call and I'm going to get my voice heard because they're supposed to pick up the phone. They are supposed to write your information down if you live in their district and pass the message along. And after a certain amount of time, it does get to their attention and they do something about it. Especially if enough people are are um, on the phone calls. Correct. Everybody's singing or saying the same thing, requesting the same thing. You have been listening to Our Seat, Our Table Leadership Lounge I'm Barbara Chandler. You've heard from, I'm Barbara Chandler. You've heard from Lavonda Wilder with the Eatonville Chamber of Commerce and Andrew Brown with Brown Box Solution. Today was a, a, a great conversation, a deep conversation around diversity, equity, inclusion, what's happening in our communities on a local level, um, a political level. Um, and, and it's all about the action. So we've given you some call to actions. Andrew has given some call to actions on how you continue to hold your local officials accountable. Continue to call them, continue to reach out to them via emails, host a meeting, all right? We no longer get to sit on the sidelines and we no longer also get to just uh, wait until it's time to vote. Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next Friday. Go higher, think greater, be stronger, be wiser. Our seat, our table, this is our voice, our time, our moment.